Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Sunday, October 13th. Yes, Thanksgiving Sunday here in Canada, and plenty to give thanks for, I suppose, if you're a Canucks fan over the last couple days here. Okay, so maybe last night's effort... Not nearly as good uh, from the team as Wednesday's was, but they got the W. They pulled one out. They lost a lead, and then they found a way to come back and retake it. Sure, it's the shootout, and the shootout is uh, is a coin flip, really, at the best of times, but... This That was a game last night against the Philadelphia Flyers, Elaine Vigneault back in town, uh, where this version of the team in years previous, uh, you know, previous versions of this team would have found a way to lose that game. They did not on Saturday night. No, instead, they skate away with a 3-2 shootout victory in a game that very much felt like a tribute to their former coach, Elaine Vigneault. This was a an AV-style game right from the jump, uh, particularly, I guess, with the way the Canucks uh, planned to strategize their lead after they took one in the second period. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to record a, a game day preview and get it out on Saturday morning. I figured you'd rather have some instant uh, post-game reaction on Sunday morning instead of having to wait for it on Monday this week. Look. It's five episodes in a week when they come out, I can't say. Maybe I should at some point come up with a schedule I can stick to over the course of the week, but I hope you don't mind. I decided to uh, rest my vocal cords yesterday and uh, try and get over this cold I've been battling over the last couple days here. Um, <laughs> but if I had done a show yesterday uh, previewing the game, I would have talked about the fact that, look, we should savor the fact that Elaine Vigneault can come back and we get to relish all of these old memories that he uh, gets to bring in with him. You know, he was on After Hours on Hockey Night in Canada last night uh, chatting with uh, Louis DeBrusque and Scott Oak and laughing about uh, the the Vern Fiddler impression of Kevin Bieksa that had him cracking up so much on the bench all those years ago. And, and there's a lot of positive AV memories. I talked about this when Travis was feeling very, very loose at the podium after the big 8-2 win on Wednesday night that, you know, when you win, when you have a good team, it's easier to have fun. And uh, the Canucks were very good under Elaine Vigneault. Elaine Vigneault got to have a whole heck of a lot of fun as the coach of this team. And one of the reasons why I have to savor a moment when a, a former executive or coach like that comes back around is, you know, as we go through this 50th anniversary season and you look back on uh, players that have been so important to this team over the years. Yes, we're going to have more moments like Wednesday where, you know, I'm sure there will be a couple more surprises along the way as far as returning players that were not made aware of before the game starts, like Todd Bertuzzi, who got a massive ovation uh, on Wednesday night from uh, just a, a, a crowd that was ready to salute him for his on-ice contributions as far as uh, on the score sheet anyways. Maybe not... Uh, you know, the the one thing that happened on the ice with Todd that wasn't so great. But his on-ice contributions, he, he got a huge salute, a massive ovation. I talked about that at length in the last couple episodes here. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm driving at is, sure, there will be more returning players like that to get that kind of uh, salute and appreciation from the crowd. But there aren't that many players left, really, in the league who have been important parts of this team. You know, Kevin Bieksa has not quite announced his retirement as of yet, uh, but he doesn't have uh, uh, an NHL team to play for this season, and 
who knows? Maybe he lands somewhere. Somebody needs a depth guy, and they'll they'll take a chance on him as the year rolls along. I know he's hoping to to find a home somewhere, but he did find a home uh, on the Canucks in-game presentation for home game number two last night. He cranked the horn, I guess, to start the – I guess there's a siren or something. Look, are we just – copying every single thing about the Las Vegas Golden Knights presentation. Like, can Vegas not have anything that they get to keep as far as what makes games in their building so special? It just seems like every team sends an executive to go scout T-Mobile, and then they come out of it just wanting to, like, verbatim copy-paste everything that works in Vegas and just transplant it into your own building. Maybe this will be something that catches on, having an alumni or a celebrity or whatever crank the siren before Canucks games. But there's no tradition there right now, and uh, it just feels like a weird kind of naked attempt to copy what works for the Golden Knights, which honestly might not work for other teams. Vegas is a unique market, and they deserve unique game presentation, just like things that were unique to the Canucks, like, for example... Using Holiday by Green Day as a goal song. Maybe I uh, should have stuck around instead of whatever they're doing with the goal song right now. Look, that's a Wyatt Arndt uh, initiative. I don't want to step on Wyatt and uh, Jordan Bowman's toes there as they are banging the drum pretty hard on the Trust the Process podcast about trying to get the goal song changed back to Holiday. And look, I agree that uh, the, the whatever they're doing, this Van Halen thing, I guess, it takes way too long to get going. It's got like a... Guitar solo right out the gate, but there's no drums or anything. Like, what they want is when it starts up and they've got that hey, hey, hey sort of thing within the music cue. Uh, But it takes, like, ten seconds to get to that part, and you're just left with guitar, not even percussion. There's no drum line underneath it. Any goal song that takes longer than ten seconds to get going is not a good goal song. And look, do I love Holiday? Not necessarily. I don't really like the fact that it... Is coming off of the American Idiot uh, album for Green Day, and uh, it, it opens up with Billy Joe yelling about St. Jimmy. No, I don't think that is the perfect goal song either, but it is intrinsically linked to so many classic moments in the history of the Vancouver Canucks over the last decade, and on that level, I guess there is some emotional attachment to hearing that song uh, relative to what they've changed it to right now, but... <laughs> I don't want to talk about game presentation. What I do want to talk about is the fact that, like, Kevin Bieksa, yes, he found a home on the broadcast and helping out the Canucks and doing some web content for them last night, but he's one of those stray guys still kicking around from the 2011 team. I guess we still have two of them that are on the team in Chris Tanev and Alex Edler, but if you look at the important players from that cup run, A lot of them are out of the league, either uh, because they can't hack it in the NHL anymore, like a Mason Raymond, who might be retired at this point, but I know after he bombed out uh, with the Flames, went over to Europe and probably is no longer playing, but maybe he is. I have no idea. Um, You know, (laughs) a lot of those guys are either gone or they're retired. You know, the Sedins have retired. Sammy Sallow, retired. Manny Malhotra, retired. A lot, go down the list. A lot of the guys who were important pieces on that team are no longer in the NHL. Ryan Kessler, still in the NHL, but is he really? Yeah, I mean, he might play like five games a year. He might even play zero games this season. Alex Burroughs, retired. A lot of these guys are gone. And when you look at the executive side, as far as former coaches and general managers of the Vancouver Canucks, 
Uh, I mean, Dave Nonis might be working as a scout somewhere. Brian Burke is kicking around in media. But a lot of the famous executives and even famous former coaches of the team are no longer with us uh, walking this earth. So you need to savor these moments when they do come around and we get to see some familiar faces from the past still kicking around in prominent jobs within the league. There aren't that many of those guys left. However... That appreciation uh, might sour awful quick when this game turned into what Travis Green in his post-game press conference called multiple times a chess match where, uh, you know, every single moment mattered, every decision, every board battle, every single step uh, was uh, of huge importance in the overall scheme of who was going to win this game. This felt like an Elaine Vigneault game, and the Elaine Vigneault style, when he is really going to work with uh, what works for him, not necessarily the most entertaining. This was not a tremendous effort from the Vancouver Canucks, though they did find a way to pay tribute to their former coach and the style he enacted here in Vancouver by building a one-goal lead in the second period and then sitting back and turtling for the entirety of the rest of the game. Uh, that felt like Vigneault hockey, if I've seen that before. There's one coach that I would uh, ascribe that to here in this city, but... One of the things that was so great about Wednesday night's explosion of offense is that those goals, uh, as they put up eight on the LA Kings, came from all over the lineup. And yet, you know, Elias Pettersson, he had a goal that night. He didn't really make a huge impact on it. Brock Besser got his first of the season last night against uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Still, you know, Made an impression, didn't have a huge impact. Bo Horvat had an assist on the Josh Levo goal on Wednesday. Has yet to really take over a game. The fact that the Canucks are finding ways to win right now where their top stars might get on the score sheet once but are not having the kind of dominant performances that we expect from them, well, that is nothing but a good thing. Of course, if you want to attend one of these games and hope that one of those stars has a breakout performance, the fine folks at Vivid Seats would like to help you do just that because there is nothing quite like being there in person uh, to cheer on, of course, your your favorite Canucks, Bo Horvat, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, JT Miller might even be a new favorite. The list goes on and on with the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. You get to see those guys uh, perhaps more than you might think over the course of the year as you will earn credit towards your next live event when you buy tickets through Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program, like I was just telling you about, that allows fans to earn credit back. Vivid Seats Rewards. So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app today. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program, and every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today. Make a memory, like, for example, watching Brock Besser score his first of the season or second or third or fourth or fifth of the season. And let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live events and hockey games. Just enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That's right, postseason, where the Canucks might be headed with a few more performances like they had last night. That's not to say that the Canucks are not getting top performances from their stars. Maybe not their stars up front, 
but there has been one star in particular, maybe making a, a bit of a name for himself in the early going of this season that has flown somewhat under the radar before last night's game because, of course, we were all caught up in the goal stravaganza from Wednesday and disappointed, I guess, by the fact that the team was not able to get any wins in their first couple games before that. Jacob Markstrom has been exceptional, just tremendous so far to start the season. And yes, there were all kinds of changes that were made to his game last year. Ian Clark uh, went to work with Markey on kind of altering his technique and learning a brand new style. There were a lot of question marks over the course of the offseason as to whether the level of performance that we saw from Markstrom in the back half of the year last year was just a nice little run from him or whether that was the new Jacob Markstrom, the guy that we could reliably depend on seeing between the pipes for the Vancouver Canucks going forward from that point on. Because, look, the, Jacob Markstrom struggled enormously trying to make these adjustments in the early going of last season. He has been red hot right out the gate. And if he can play like this consistently over the course of the entire season here, I mean, who knows what'll happen. He's been put back in the training room and and uh, not been made available to the media the last couple games on home ice. He's been receiving treatment of some kind, even if Travis Green completely brushed it aside when the question was posed to him in last night's post-game press conference. Travis, of course, downplayed that Marky was battling anything, said he's perfectly fine and there's no reason not to play him going forward over the course of these next couple games. The team hasn't entirely figured out what the schedule is as far as who gets what games, or at least that's what they're telling us right now. Whether you want to believe it is entirely up to you. But right now, if they can manage him and keep him fresh, because the problem with Marks from last year was that they didn't have a reliable backup that they could play, and and Marky just played way too many games. He got worn down as the season went along because they didn't trust Anders Nilsson. When they flipped Anders Nilsson uh, over to Ottawa with the intent of bringing Thatcher Demko up, they lost Thatcher Demko to concussion issues, and then uh, went through that whole issue with Mike McKenna losing him on waivers to the Flyers. Oh, hello, those Flyers who were here last night. Uh, Mike McKenna, of course, now retired, working as an analyst on the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast. So maybe that's where Kevin BX will end up down the line. That's neither here nor there. They just had a, a huge, uh, bizarre situation between the pipes last year between January and March, essentially, where Markstrom was already tired at that point. You needed to get the backup goalie in at that exact moment, and as a result, uh, I don't even remember who it was who wound up playing a little bit of hockey there for them uh, before the, the, Travis Green basically just decided that uh, it was Richard Bachman. Bachman got called up the fourth stringer and was put between the pipes because uh, Vancouver just had no other options, and when Bachman got lit up, well, Travis Green shied away from that as well. So managing his fatigue levels, keeping him on top of his game has to be a top priority for this team because, uh, you know, people have questions. There, were, uh, What are the question marks around this team as far as what's going to hold them out of the playoffs? Well, there's a couple things. The bottom six forwards, that's a big question mark in terms of are they good enough? They have been at times, but in other times, well, Travis Green didn't really feel like playing that nominal third line of his a whole heck of a lot last night, but we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Uh, you know, there's question marks about the defense. Are these changes, the guys that they've brought in, is Tyler Myers good enough to offset uh, the way that the defense has let Vancouver down over the last several years? 
Early returns on that are yes, he is, but he is also being managed perfectly. And then, of course, the big question mark between the pipes. What is Jacob Markstrom? Who is Jacob Markstrom? What can we expect from him? And is Thatcher Demko going to be ready to handle the load when Markey needs a night off? I mean, we're going to find that out as the season rolls along with regards to Demko. I don't see him uh, getting a start uh, on you know, this homestand, but maybe when they head off on the road, he probably will play at some point uh, next weekend. We will see, and that will be an interesting test of Thatcher Demko, who hasn't really played since early in the preseason. And, and you know, even those preseason games are not particularly meaningful. But when we talk about waiting for a star player to show up and really steal a game for Vancouver, the way, you know, uh, the way Connor McDavid stole the season opener or the way the 3M line took over the game for Calgary in Game 2. That hasn't happened yet as far as one of the star contributors to the Canucks forward group, but they are getting star contributions that are stealing games for them between the pipes right now, and that has to be promising because as good as Markey was last year, I don't even know there's that many games that you can say he necessarily stole for them over the course of last season. You can start the count right now at one for this year. And look, maybe we need to reconsider how many star contributors there really are to this Canucks forward core. Uh, Michael Furland, not one of them at the moment. He and Adam Gaudet had the most sheltered minutes of anyone who played in last night's action. A little curious to me, honestly, that that line wasn't played a whole particular uh, lot, given that, you know, I, I, I like Brandon Sutter as the winger uh, on Adam Gaudet's line because it's the exact role that was being kicked around for Sutter last year with Elias Pettersson coming into the league. It was kicked around a lot coming into last season that maybe Pettersson should start the year on the wing and have Sutter be his center on the second line because who knows if he's ready to handle these kinds of responsibilities. And then when Travis Green was adamant that Pedersen was going to be a center to start the season, the conversation shifted to, well, then he needs Louis Erickson on his wing, someone who can be defensively responsible and really help the guy out in his own end because we're not sure if he can blah, 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 blah yada, yada, yada. You get the point. Adam Gaudet is playing center. He is not starting on the wing. They want him to become an NHL center, and that is fantastic. And if that role is still available to him on a roster that includes Brandon Sutter and Travis Green feels more comfortable playing Gaudet because he's got Sutter with him to handle some of those defensive responsibilities if the kid can't quite keep up on that level, well, uh, I would assume that that's probably a good thing for Adam Gaudet in the long run and maybe a good thing for Brandon Sutter as well to shift over to the wing and get to play an easier game that might not be as taxing on his body and maybe he can be less injured than he's been in seasons previous. And also, uh, you know, I think Gaudet's got some playmaking skill, a lot better down the middle at least uh, relative to what Brandon Sutter has been able to do offensively. But curious that Travis Green really used his fourth line as his third line in last night's action. He leaned heavy on that beagle schaller Vertanen line, and uh, I don't know necessarily that it was the wrong call because uh, those guys played perfect penalty killing up until, uh, of course, uh, the Canucks penalty killing streak was halted late in the third period as Oscar Lindblom tied the game with a PP blast with not much time to go, a little uh, over or under five minutes, about five minutes left in the third period either way. And Jake Vertanen was the standout on that line. So if the idea was to get him more minutes, get him more actively involved in this game, that was a very good decision because especially in the first period, Jake was tremendous. He was everything that you want a guy like him to be, minus, of course, a little offensive flair that would certainly be nice. But uh, look, 
The expectations right now for Jake Vertanen are not lofty. I don't know that this guy's ever going to become a top six winger. That conversation has been shelved until he can prove that he is a regular NHL player in the first place. So on nights where he goes out and looks like a consistent, quality, third-line winger, a guy like, you know, Rafi Torres perhaps, in that kind of mold, except with obviously more wheels and... um, I was going to say a better shot, but Rafi Torres' shot was actually pretty fantastic, if I'm being honest. Regardless, it is a lower bar for Jake Vertanen to clear to be able to say he played well, but he did play well, and he has played well, in fact, in every single game so far this season, which is a positive sign for a guy who might finally be figuring out how to play as a professional in the National Hockey League. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi was on the broadcast on the radio on Wednesday night and talked with uh, Sadier Shah about the idea that, uh, you know, people need to be patient with Jake, but for Jake to really figure out how to play the game at both ends, he needs to focus on a simple, singular goal, and that is to put up seven shots and seven hits per game. That's it. Seven shots, seven hits. And if you can do that, be somewhere in that range of five to seven of those two things per game, he's probably going to show well in both ends if he's involved like that, trying to win the puck with a hit in his own zone and trying to get the puck on net in the offensive end. The offense hasn't been there for Jake as of yet. He has hit the post a couple times already this season, however. But the idea of a guy that can muck things up and stir it up with the opposition and get them off their game. That certainly came to fruition in the first period where Jake was at the heart of a major scrum along the benches that wound up drawing a penalty that sent the Canucks to the power play. That is a perfect Jake Vertanen shift, and he's had more of those than not as of late. So yes, absolutely give Jake Vertanen extra minutes, especially over a guy like Michael Furland, who has struggled mightily to start this season. And you know, it's funny, actually, that uh, the, everything that people talk about with regards to Sven Berchi as to why he needed to go down to uh, Utica to start the year, too tentative, perhaps, playing scared, uh, reeling off of a concussion, not having the confidence on the ice to uh, perform the way he needs to. To me, that was bullshit with Sven Berchi. I never thought that that was the case. I thought he played excellent in the preseason. Certainly great with Adam Gaudet. But look, I don't want to bang the Sven Berchi drum every episode. I'm bringing him up right now only to say that that entire narrative about why it was the right decision to send him down is actually true of Michael Furland. Michael Furland is reeling off of a concussion. Michael Furland is playing scared out there. Michael Furland doesn't have the confidence that he needs to perform. Hopefully he can get it back. But look, this is... This is a player who is, was only expected to put up like 40 points in the season anyways. This is not a, a make-or-break guy. The fact that we were all hyped up about him as this possible star coming into the year, he was always the most overhyped Canuck coming into the season. It's not a surprise that he's disappointed. It is perhaps a surprise the level to which he's disappointed, but he's got reasons for that, whether it's the injury at the end of last year in Carolina or the illness that he had to start this year in the preseason, which was apparently worse than was initially let on. He lost 10 pounds over the course of a few days and has not yet gained that weight back. So better things ahead for Michael Furland, and I legitimately cannot wait for Antoine Roussel to rejoin this team because 
Roussel injects just this additional punch of liveliness and spirit into the lineup whenever he plays. And if you line up that guy across uh, from Michael Furland, it doesn't matter who's in the middle between the two of them. Sutter, Gaudette, Horvat, take your pick. Even Jay Beagle, maybe. That is a line that is going to have a great deal of energy, and just be pesky. Do the exact sort of things that I was just complimenting Jake Vertanen on. Of course, being pesky and drawing penalties does not make one a star, and maybe it might be a stretch even to use the word star in this instance, but it really does feel like in terms of guys you can rely on to be consistently good on this Canucks roster, when you're talking about the forward group, yes, have the the legit top guys as far as Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, and Elias Pettersson perhaps disappointed a little bit out of the gate this season. Certainly that has been the case, but we can forgive them because we know what they will do as the season rolls along. And as they have taken a little while to get rolling, the Canucks have relied on excellent efforts night after night from J.T. Miller and Tanner Pearson, who have to be right now in the discussion, along with Jacob Markstrom, for Team MVP. And yes, it's only been four games. Who knows what kind of point pace and production uh, Pearson and Miller are going to put up over the course of the entire year. But right now, in this exact second, I was a little reluctant to give the love to Tanner Pearson. I thought he floated throughout all of preseason and, you know, yes, put up very good numbers in a small sample size to end last year. Look, is four games a small sample size as well? It certainly is. But he flicked the switch out of preseason. He turned it on as soon as the regular season started, was excellent on the road, has been very, very good in both of the home games as well. And this kind of production, if you include what he's done to start the year this year, as well as what he did to close out the year last year, is just insane to think that you got this guy in a trade for Eric Goodbranson. He had an unlucky season last year as far as a hand injury that plagued him in Los Angeles, and then again after he was traded to Pittsburgh. The Canucks bought low on a guy, picked him up for pennies on the dollar, and I have to give it up. You know I'm critical of Jim Benning. You know I'm critical of this regime. Those two trades, but in particular, Eric Goodbranson for Tanner Pearson is looking like a spectacular move right now. And even, look, we we don't know what that first-round pick that the team gave up to get JT Miller here is going to turn out to be, where it's going to range. We don't know any of that as of yet. But what we do know is that JT Miller has been spectacular for this Canucks team to start the year, and I was all set to come in here today and talk about how the Philadelphia Flyers are a cautionary tale for Canucks fans who believe that this team is ready. They have enough young pieces. Let's effing go. No, they do not have enough young pieces. You look at the Flyers who have, for years, had Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Shane Gostisbehere. That is a core that is at least comparable to the Canucks' top three of Pedersen, Horvat, and Hughes. And they're still bad because they don't have the supporting cast to back those guys up. I thought that would be the takeaway from last night's game. No, it is not. The takeaway is the Canucks already have a better supporting cast for those three, four guys, if you want to throw Besser in there as well, than the Flyers have had the whole way along because JT Miller probably comparable to Kevin Hayes who the Flyers picked up at an exorbitant price in free agency over the course of the offseason and uh, Miller locked in on a guaranteed deal when the trade was made 
he's living up to that price tag, and it's, it might be a steal of a deal, honestly, if he continues to play with Pedersen the way that he has since that line was put together because the way that guy wins battles and the way he's able to move the puck, I said it last night on Twitter, he is like a Nikolai Goldobin for Elias Pedersen that, who consistently wins board battles, and that is, you know, in a lot of respects, the perfect guy to play with EP. I'm sure we'll be talking more about those two guys in the days ahead, but right now that's it for today's episode. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy some time with your family. Enjoy the turkey, of course, all that good stuff. Don't get too loaded up on tryptophan, however, because I will be right back with you on Monday morning to talk more about last night's big 3-2 shootout victory and tee up the week ahead as well as the Detroit Red Wings, a team even, yes, Drew Doughty, even worse than the Los Angeles Kings, who should be ripe for the picking for this Canucks team. But maybe Canucks will have some turkey legs of their own. We'll find out on Tuesday. I'll talk to you Monday before then. Until then, I'm Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.